We are continuing in our series that we just started last week in our marriage matters, uh, because marriage matters. And so we want to just uh, get into the word of what God has to say about marriage. And, and um, whether you are married, whether you have been married, um, or whether you will be married uh, for our younger folk, this is so important because what the word says that it, it's more than just about your relationship but our relationships are reflections of what God wants to do in us between us and him. And uh, uh, even our marriages um, uh, make a difference. And, and these, these principles that we're talking about even go beyond marriage because they have to do um, with uh, family relationships, with work relationships, with friendship relationships. And so um, even if you're not married, these are very um, uh, appropriate uh, that you can put into place in your life uh, as well as just um, uh, understanding our relationship with God. And, and uh, we will be talking about that because it says that he as he talks about marriage, he says, I'm not only talking about marriage, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So uh, we are going to look at all this. So let's um, uh, read our, our text, and uh, then we'll give you a little bit of a recap, and then where we're going and get into the portion today. But we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and um, uh, we're starting in verse 21, and then going forward. And it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And husbands, you should love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, you should love your wives as your own bodies. For he who loves uh, his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished it and cherished it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, the word there is cleave, to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers not to just marriage, but to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So as we look at this great uh, uh, exposition on marriage, probably the, the most famous and the most in-depth, um, we really see six things that we are gonna touch on um, uh, over these, this series. Um, and, and real quick, just to give you labels and, and kind of a table of contents, um, you can write this down. Uh, the six areas of marriage are, first of all, the source of marriage, which we talked about last week. Um, today, we're going to look at the definition of marriage. What is marriage? 
Uh, we're going to look at the priority of marriage. We're going to look at the purpose of marriage, the structure of marriage, and then finally we're going to look at the mystery of marriage. So that is our six headings that we're looking at. Uh, the source, the definition, the priority, the purpose, the structure, and the mystery. Now last week we talked about the source of marriage. Where does it come from? And really when we talk about the source, we're talking about where do we get the ability to truly form a marriage? Because this is not a man-made institution. Um, see, many people in the world think that marriage just comes from, you know, when we get together and we see that special purpose, there's just something that wells up within us and we want to be with that person. And, and so it's a, it's a human instinct uh, to come together and, and nurture and create family. But yet that's not true. It, it is not uh, a human uh, creation. But marriage is a godly creation. It is something that God created. So the very source of having a good marriage comes from the Holy Spirit. We, we saw that last week, that, that the source is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because before we even get to this uh, scripture that we just read, uh, the first part of chapter 5 is all talking about how we are to walk in love because of what God has done for us. That God has redeemed us to be people that walk in the newness of life, in this new uh, uh, life that he has given us, and that we are to be filled with the Spirit and therefore experience um, uh, this new kingdom. And, and so as we look at the source of marriage, it comes from uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And it is the infilling of the Holy Spirit that allows us to do uh, one thing, and that is to submit to one another. And this is really the source of what a marriage is. It is two people submitting to one another. It's not about a romanticism. It is not about uh, a, a uh, natural draw and affection that we have. Uh, it is the source of a marriage. The foundation uh, is submission. Uh, and not just for the wife. That, that is where it, it starts before it even talks about the wife. It says we are both to submit to one another. So I'm sorry, husbands, you are called to submit to your wife. It says to submit to one another. And the only way that we can submit to one another, because that's not natural. Remember, we talked about last week that the, the enemy of every marriage is self-centeredness. Um, as long as we are focused on ourselves, um, the marriage will not... Uh, uh, grow and produce the beauty that God wants it to. So the source of a marriage being what God meant it to be, meant it to be is, is two people filled with the Holy Spirit. And because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are able to submit to one another. We are able to put our own uh, wants and desires totally aside and, and lay down our life for one another. Now, real quick, let me give you three things that that looks like. Um, what does it look like uh, to be able to submit to one another in the, in the filling of the Holy Spirit? Um, uh, three things. It means that you have the ability, because we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the ability, first of all, to hear criticism without being crushed. See, that is so crucial. Uh, in ourself, we naturally get defensive. As soon as you criticize me, you know... It is natural that something raises up within me and says, who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? 
and, and this is who I am, and you're, you're bringing me down. But yet, when we are filled with the Spirit, we are able to hear criticism without being crushed. And that is what God calls us to. Um, we are to be people that are willing um, to hear criticism without being crushed. But also, the second thing, as the Holy Spirit fills us, we are able to give criticism without crushing. You see, that is so unnatural, because when we usually give criticism, even out of our kindness, it, it many times becomes crushing to the other person because there's always an attitude behind it. Uh, there's always a self-motivation, an agenda when we criticize or when we try and point out that. And, and yet we need to learn to have the gentleness of the Holy Spirit, the humility of the Holy Spirit, where we are able um, to give criticism without crushing um, uh, and, and being very led by the Spirit. So hear criticism without being crushed. Give criticism without crushing. And then the third thing is to forgive without any residual anger. That means with the Holy Spirit leading our marriage, we should be constantly living in a attitude of forgiveness without any residual anger. We totally let it go. Um, we've got to be willing to accept the failures of our spouse because it's not about us. However our spouse's failures affect us, the ability to forgive says um, God is the one that meets my needs and so therefore I don't hold you in debt for what you have done to me. That's what it means to forgive, to let the debts go because you don't owe me anything for how you said that or, or what you said or what you do. And so this is the submission that comes. This is the source of a strong marriage. Um, and so when we um, uh, uh, submit to one another, um, our marriage is established. Now today, we're gonna look at the second thing is the definition of a marriage because we need to understand what is marriage. And, and these two things lay the foundation, both the source of our submission and the definition um, of the marriage, which is, I'll tell you right now, it's commitment. The definition of marriage is not romanticism, it is not love. It is love, but not in the way that we say it, the world says it, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but here's what marriage is, it is a covenant. It is a covenant with one another. It is a commitment between two people um, uh, that make this agreement uh, to come together to establish what God wants to do. And we'll get to the purpose of marriage in a couple of weeks. Uh, but these two um, foundations, the source of marriage and the definition of marriage, have to be in place before the purpose of marriage, before God can do what he wants to do in our marriage. Uh, he can never accomplish the purpose if it is not based on the source and definition. So we look at, um, it says, we read the verse, um, in I'll find it here in verse 31 in verse 31 of Ephesians 5 it says therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife or hold fast to his wife um, this is the action of marriage so the actual 
action of marriage, the very definition of what marriage is, it is to cleave. That word cleave um, is actually a legal uh, uh, word, and it means to be bound uh, to or to be glued to, almost like a, uh, in a construction uh, uh, sense that we are glued to one another, um, and it is through this um, uh, covenant. Um, now, it's a little bit different from a contract uh, because a contract um, is something that um, both people agree to, um, and uh, it can be broken if one side does not hold up to their standards, whereas a covenant is not like that. A covenant... Um, the other person may break it, but you are still in covenant with that person. A covenant is not something, it is never meant to be uh, uh, broken. You are bound to a covenant. And so therefore, because it is a covenant, now the other person may break parts of it, um, but that will only bring blessings or cursings upon the parties involved, uh, but the covenant is still there. And we know this because God covenanted with us. And even though we have uh, many times walked away from him, his covenant uh, is not made null and void. Um, uh, Jesus uh, has covenanted with that. If we will enter into that covenant uh, with God, um, then it is an eternal uh, covenant that God is faithful even when we are faithless. And so in marriage... We need to understand uh, that this, this commitment is unbreakable. In God's eyes, it is never meant to be broken. Um, now, we know that uh, because of our sinfulness, uh, that there are um, uh, very minor and rare terms that God allows that, but it is absolutely the exception, and it is harder than what we make it. Um, and it is only on very limited terms, but it is, a, it is a covenant that is meant to be binding and eternal. Um, we know from Jesus' own mouth that God hates divorce, and it is never in the plan of God. So what is this covenant? Um, as we look through the Old Testament, um, covenants um, have three uh, principles to them, and these same three characteristics apply to marriage. Um, and that is, first of all, they are binding. Um, a, 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 the covenant is binding, it is unbreakable. Um, and that is why even though we do divorce, um, uh, it is like ripping something that has been glued to it. How many know that when you pull something apart that's been glued, it is always gonna cause damage. Um, and, and it can never be pulled apart without um, uh, uh, unchangeable uh, hurt uh, that can never be um, repaired. And, and so it is binding. We also see that it is public. Okay, every covenant, um, there was a, pub, a public, there was witnesses, which is why we uh, focus on witnesses, and it must be public. Uh, I know many times we want to say, well, we can just have uh, uh, this marriage between us. That it is not biblical. Um, there is no common law marriage in God's economy. Um, it is meant to be a public uh, covenant uh, in front of family, community, society, witnesses. And the third thing is it is legal. Um, uh, it is a, uh, uh, a covenant um, that is 
um, uh, with consequences, that it calls uh, for stipulations. And, and so the pattern that we would usually see in the Old Testament is that the way a, uh, a marriage covenant um, uh, would be uh, practiced is, first of all, there would be the introduction of the parties. Um, in, in fact, it would state um, who this is uh, concerning. And so everyone um, is aware. It is a very public announcement that these parties are now in covenant. And then it would state the stipulations. Uh, another word for that it would be obligations. That uh, within this covenant, there are obligations. There are things that are expected of the other people. But that expectation uh, is expected on each one individually. That even if this, it is not a, a give and take. It is not, well, if they do this, then you can do this. No, you are obligated to do your part no matter what the other person says or does. Um, and uh, so we need to come back to understand uh, what that is. Um, and then there would be a listing of the blessings and the cursings of the covenant, uh, because no matter uh, what happens, once we enter a covenant, it is permanent. And so therefore, um, uh, when those obligations and stipulations are broken, it doesn't just dissolve the contract, but there are actual blessings and there are cursings that are gonna come uh, if we choose uh, to go against that covenant. And of course, the blessings are awesome uh, that we receive because of the covenant. Uh, but if we ignore those things, the cursings um, uh, can be hard and harsh uh, upon us. And then the final part uh, is the vows, that, that both sides would uh, publicly make a vow uh, to one another. Now, uh, those vows uh, can come in lots of different ways. Um, the main thing is that it is public, uh, it is uh, legal, and it is binding. Um, uh, back in the day, uh, we have the picture of, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, they would take an animal, they would cut the animal in two and separate it, and then the two people would walk between the two pieces of the, the sacrifice and basically they would covenant together that, that uh, if we break this covenant, may it be unto us just as it is to this animal, uh, that, that uh, we would experience that, uh, that death and consequence. And so those vows would be there. Uh, we know that there's different uh, people that, uh, whether you jump over a stick, uh, whether you put a lasso around uh, one another, um, uh, whether you stomp on a glass and break it, there's all different ways, but the, the key thing is that it is a vow. It is a commitment uh, to one another. Um, now, when we talk about these vows and commitments, this is, goes against our modern mindset. Um, we are very anti-covenantal. Uh, 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 we uh, do not like to be bound uh, within these obligations, uh, although we don't mind uh, uh, making contracts because we like to measure things on what it gives me. And, and you see, that is the opposite of the modern mind from the biblical mind. Um, and we're going to see this because, see, the modern person and, and many of our young people, but it's not just our young people, we as older people have fallen into what our society uh, uh, follows and it is, it is not one of commitment. 
I mean, we see that in every area of our life. People do not commit. Um, and yet, God is a God of commitment. It is a principle, it is a character of God that we see in all of the commandments of God. Um, and yet, we are people that just don't like to be tied down. Like, I'll believe that, but you know, I just don't have to sign a paper. Okay, I'll just say I do. Well, if you say you do it, then, then why would we not sign the paper? This is why God says, no, it must be legal. We must make it uh, uh, public and binding because there is accountability in that. And you see, that is the issue that nowadays, we may commit to things, but we don't want to be held accountable to that commitment. Like, like I'll commit to it if you just let me take care of it myself, and I will hold myself accountable. That's not the way God works. And I'm sorry, people, but... Uh, it, a marriage is a commitment that must be accountable to others. And I know that I've even had um, uh, people ask me, well, pastor, would you do a marriage? You know, we're not gonna get a, a marriage license because we don't want to legally uh, be married, but we wanna be married before God. And I've told them, no, I'm not gonna do that because that is not being married before God. If you refuse to become legally married, then God does not recognize your commitment to one another. It is biblical. It, it has always uh, been throughout the pattern of that we must cleave, we must covenant, uh, and, and a covenant that tries to escape um, even societal recognition of that, that public uh, acknowledgement of that, um, is a loss of accountability, um, and God does not see that as a heart that is covenanting with the other person. Um, it, it is trying to be half-hearted. It is trying to uh, cut corners. It is trying to play the game. When God says, if you're going to be a marriage in this world uh, that I can use uh, to be light and salt in this community, then it must be connected uh, to the communal uh, legal parameters uh, so that I can use that. And, and so um, we, instead of giving in to commitment and discipline and obligation and duty, uh, we don't like those words anymore. Um, we, we like spontaneity. We like just romance. It, it's just love. We're just, we're gonna love one another. Uh, we like freedom. Um, uh, why does God want to tie me down? In fact, it is not that God wants to tie you down. It is only in that covenantal, uh, uh, binding that we find freedom because it becomes a protection uh, because he knows that we live in a world of jackals and lions that are looking to rip our marriage apart that if we don't fall within these things these things um, are made by God uh, because he knows that we need the protection that they bring uh, our marriage and, and so we want choice God wants uh, duty and it is through that that we find um, uh, a marriage is able uh, to accomplish the beauty and fruit that God desires it to accomplish. Now, we see people respond to that, and we see it in the, in, in, uh, the media, we see it in movies and in books, and you know, there's always the, the, the one person says, you know, let's get married, I want to get married. And the other person says, you know what, why do you need a paper to, to, to prove my love? Don't you know that I love you? We're going to live together. Let's just live together and we'll be the same thing. But we don't need any paper to show that we love, love each other. They're missing the whole point. 
Because see, what they're saying is that I find meaning and, and, and um, love not from uh, uh, this agreement that we're gonna make, but it is out of our uh, uh, affection for one another. It is for our love for one another. And, and so that just gets between that. You see, everything is from the inside. Um, and we'll just give ourselves to one another. And that's all we need. All we need is to just uh, give ourselves to one another and it'll be fine. And yet, you see, here's the thing. God tells us that meaning uh, comes from uh, not uh, self-fulfillment, but from self-emptying. You see, the reason we do need a paper um, to, to prove our love, to enter into that covenant the way God says is because that paper um, is not about the inside of what I feel or think or what I receive, but it is about what I give. Uh, it is what I promise. And, and you see, promises have weight. Promises are what our faith is based on with God. God is a God of promise. And if he had not written it down in his word um, and given us this written covenant, you see, then the love that we know from him would always be subject to uh, circumstances or, or will or our wondering, does God really love us? We don't know. And so God is a God of, you're never gonna have to wonder or know because it is going to be written it is going to be um, uh, an obligation that is held accountable um, uh, by others. And, and so um, when we make that statement, really, when we're saying we don't need no paper to prove it, what we're really saying is, um, I don't want to uh, make that obligation. You just need to trust me. Um, and here's the problem. We are broken people. We cannot trust each other. Um, we are all sinful. We have all uh, gone away from God. And, and when we say, I will just love you, and, and my love should be enough for you, here's the problem. We have twisted the meaning of love. And, and so we need to come and look at this. What does love mean? Um, uh, when we look at love from the modern standpoint, what we think of is uh, how I feel, or even what I choose. We, we, now, sometimes we will even say that, but it's, it, it all comes from within us. Love is something, um, it, it's kind of like a ditch. Love is something we fall into, right? We don't even say that. They fell in love. Um, or it's something like a disease that they caught and they, and they, they, got, they got the love bug, right? Um, it, it is something um, that comes from within us. Uh, and it's almost something that we don't control, just something that happens to us. Um, and that's the problem in our choices of who we date and who we marry many times. That's the problem because it's based on this, this thing that happened to us when we saw them and, and, and we were attracted to them. Um, but uh, that type of love, because it comes from within us, it is always going to be measured by what we receive. So my love is always going to be measured by what I receive. When that love is not reciprocated, it, it tends to die. 
you see, when the other person doesn't treat me right, all of a sudden those feelings start to go away. Um, when I'm not constantly receiving um, uh, uh, pats on the back and, and being um, uh, uh, treated the way I want to be treated, on the inside, those feelings go away. But you see, that's not how the Bible sees love. The Bible focuses on the outside. In fact, the Bible says love uh, does not come from what you receive, but it comes from what other people need. And so therefore, love is a choice to respond to others. Love is based on others, not on me. And it is measured not by what you receive, but it is measured by what you give. Um, you see, it's not a feeling. In fact, love, although it does have a feeling component and God does care about that, and we're gonna talk about that in a second, but he tells us to love our enemies. Now, if love was a good feeling from the inside, how could he tell us to love our enemies? Because our enemies do not create warm, fuzzy feelings within us. And yet we choose to honor them, to do good for them, uh, to serve them. You see, this is the picture of biblical love. It's a, it is a choice from the outside. Um, it is an action, not a feeling. I choose to meet your needs. You have a need when I choose to give it, that is love. Uh, when we begin to see the other person, when we get married, what we are saying is not, um, uh, you know, here's how the current vows usually go. Um, when people write their own vows, it's, you know what, I love you, I wanna spend the rest of my life with you, I'm gonna give myself to you, you have my whole heart, um, and I want to share my life with you. That's usually how it goes in some way or another. It's all about my heart. It's all about giving myself. Now, it sounds like we're serving because I want to give my heart to you. But when we say give my heart to you, you see, it, it only means that when that heart is there, when those feelings are there, then I will, give, I will respond in those feelings. But you see, when our heart is not there, how, we don't have anything to give them. And, and, and so... It also, it's all about the present. Oh, I love you. You are so special to me. You mean the world to me. It's all about now. Um, and it is an invitation into our life. I want, I want to share my life with you. You see, it's all about my life. It's all about, oh, I'm gonna share with you. You, you get the privilege of, of being with me and, and enjoying my love. And it's about now. This is how I feel now. And, 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 and yet, here's a biblical vow. When we... If we, I know people say, well, we're not going to choose those biblical vows anymore. Well, we need to ask ourselves why. Because the biblical vow has to do with the true substance of love. And it has nothing to do with feelings. Um, it is also has nothing to do with the now. You see, when we, when we make marriage vows biblically, it is about, first of all, action. I vow to not love you but to act lovingly for you. It doesn't say that I um, uh, uh, will always cherish you, but I will be cherished. It's about who we are and what we do, not how we feel. It is also future that I will uh, love you, what is it, in sickness and in health. So no matter what comes in the future, it's a future promise that, that I will promise. What I'm promising is that in the future, I'll still be there no matter how I feel, 
You see, that is biblical love. Love is saying, I'm covenanting it with you that you know uh, that in wealth or poverty, in sickness or in health, that I make a covenant that even when I don't feel like it, I'm here for you. That's love. You see, that is commitment. And that's what marriage is. And we need to come back to that understanding um, that the covenant um, is a commitment. Now, here's the thing. Man, it sounds, but that is so, sounds like a marriage is just going to always be dry. It's always going to be uh, just a rote uh, a picture of uh, monotony and duty. And there, how can that be any kind of satisfaction that God would want? Here's the thing. And this is where we need to get our understanding back, right? That it's not about us. Um, it's about others. When you limit yourself for the right thing, you actually expand your ability to receive the best things. Listen to that again. If you choose to limit yourself for the right thing, for your spouse, for your marriage. When you purposely limit yourself, I, I, I will forego what I want. I will, I will defer my desires for something else. And the marriage is the right thing. When we defer ourselves, when we limit our choices for the right thing, here's what God says. You have now expanded your ability to receive the best things. So see, the world doesn't understand that. If you limit yourself, you're not gonna get as much. Where God says, if you will die to yourself, you will live to yourself. God says, if you will give up your life, you will receive your life. And that's hard to understand, but it is the principle of God. And so when we limit ourselves for our spouse, we actually open up the ability to receive the best things of satisfaction and life from God himself. Now, when you do limit yourself, of course, you may be hurt along the way. There's going to be nicks and there's going to be scars on your heart. But I'm going to tell you, scars on your heart, in the end, um, are, are rewards. They are testaments of glory. Whereas if we keep our heart where all we get is what we want, if we only use our heart uh, for the things that we want and we protect our hearts from, from any kind of uh, limitations, what you are all actually doing is setting up your heart to be ultimately crushed. Because you see, if you never give yourself to someone completely, your heart becomes dry and hard until it is crushed. And so God says, how much better to be wounded along the way and yet receive a living new heart from God than to always experience the fun and, and things that you want and yet in the end your heart is crushed. So here's a real quick, some practical ramifications that we close with uh, a couple things. First of all, the thing we have to see that in marriage, love is not a feeling, love is an action. Um, we cannot me uh, measure our, our marriage on how we feel about each other day to day. Um, that is not the measure of a strong marriage. 
Um, but it is the actions. It is the choosing to serve one another. We talked about this last week. Choosing to submit myself to the other. You will find yourself experiencing more satisfaction and fulfillment because it doesn't come from your spouse. It comes from God. Remember, the source of marriage is not your spouse. Although we love our spouse and they are the object of our service, they are not the source of our marriage. The Holy Spirit is. And so when we commit to choose to serve, we open ourselves up to receive from the Holy Spirit uh, everything that he wants to give us in marriage. Um, and when, when, we know, when we look at it that love is not a feeling, but it is an action, we understand that it's not something we can bargain with. Marriage cannot be a bargain. And yet we use those terms. Oh man, you married up right? Or oh, you sure got a great bargain uh, in that marriage. Um, and we need to get away from that because we can never let marriage fall into this idea of a bargain. When we begin to think that way, here's what happens. We start to negotiate. Um, you know what? If you'll, do, if you'll treat me this way, I'll treat you this way. It becomes a contract rather than a covenant. And, and when we begin to bargain with one another, when we begin to uh, say, man, they're just not treating me the way I want. And, and, and um, uh, we begin to grow cold in the marriage, then we begin to see that this is exactly what kills the marriage. It's because we, we came into a bargaining session. We started measuring our marriage by what the other person was giving us. And remember, it's not about what we receive, it's about what we give. So I don't care what the other person is doing. Love is about how much you give. You cannot bargain that. You cannot negotiate that because here's the negotiations that God expects. I'll give you everything with no expectations on what you give me. That's the only negotiation there. When you live in that type of marriage, yes, you might get hurt because at times it's one way. But God is the one that is our source. And so when we begin to uh, stop the bargaining, and when we begin to truly give ourselves, here's what happens. The action will bring about the feeling. Even though love is an action and not a feeling, God cares about your feelings. And God will bring your feelings. But here's the thing. You don't follow your heart. You lead your heart. And if you will lead your heart by, by covenanting with your partner, I'm telling you, the feelings will come. Um, actions will always bring feelings, but feelings will not always bring ultimate actions. And it goes both positive and negative. Think of it as a parent and a child. You know what? When you first have a child, they don't give you anything. In fact, they make your life terrible. All they give you is poop and throw up and crying, right? And yet you give everything to them. You give everything to them. You give everything to that child so that by the time they are 18, you know what? You love that kid even if they are a scourge on society, right? Don't we look at people and say, how can you love that kid? Because it was their kid. Because the more they gave to them, the actions that I chose, I choose to give and give and give, the, the feeling comes because I have invested in that. And it's the same in the marriage. That if you will give to your marriage, even when they're not giving back, even when all you're getting is poop and throw up and crying, 
God will produce the feelings. But if you don't, it'll go the negative way too. Because the less you give, the less you will feel. Um, it is said that the Nazis uh, during World War II, when they were killing the Jews, um, they talked to soldiers that were involved in that, that, you know what, it wasn't, they were just following orders. But at first, it, it says um, uh, uh, they, they killed the Jews because they hated them. You see, they, they were made to kill the Jews because Hitler hated them. They may not have thought about it, but they just did what they're told. But the more they killed the Jews because of hatred, it said that they came to hate the Jews because they killed them. You see, even the soldiers who just did the action over and over began to hate those that they were killing. Because the same thing, actions will bring feelings. So really, here's the thing. If we continue to ignore our spouse or to treat them bad, I'm gonna tell you, you will start to hate your spouse. That, that will naturally grow. But when we will choose to give and to serve and to be gentle even when I am treated wrong, it says then you will begin to love God will give you a love for that spouse that maybe you haven't had for a long time. Because here's the thing. The day in which you are most able to honor God by loving your spouse will probably be the day in which you don't have a whole lot of affection for him. And yet that day will be the most honoring day to God because you will be loving your spouse the way Christ loved the church. Think about it. The day that God showed us his love the most was the day that he went to the cross. And I'm gonna guarantee you, when Jesus was being tortured and humiliated, he, in this act of love, he was not feeling warm fuzzies for those around him. Even though he forgave them and he was choosing to love them. But it did not mean that he was it just enjoying himself and loving those, those people with warm, fuzzy feelings. And yet he still chose to commit himself because he had made a covenant to us. And so if Jesus can love us through covenant, we are to love our spouse through covenant. Even if it means dying for them. Even when we are being hurt. But God says if you will give yourself I will create the feelings. I will bring the affection back. And here's the thing, and we close with this, the commitment that we need in our marriage is what's gonna make it possible for God to do what he wants to do in marriage. Because God does not just want a marriage to see how much we're committed. It's just that we need that submission and we need that commitment so that he can do what he wants to do in marriage. And the purpose of marriage, just real quick, I'll give you a little sneak peek. The purpose of marriage is to sanctify us, to cleanse us, to present ourselves to God clean without spot or wrinkle. God cannot do that in us unless we are living out the commitment of marriage, the covenant of marriage. So if you want to be presented to God clean, then we need to come back into 
a true covenant relationship in our marriage again. We need to renew the true vows that God has called us to commit to one another, no matter how we feel, but to serve and to love with biblical love that will then become a deep-rooted love that God will give us because the source is not from us and it's not from our spouse. It is from the Holy Spirit. And then we will have beautiful marriages that will affect others and it will touch more than just us, but it will touch our family, our community, our neighborhood, and the world. Let, let me pray with you.